All right, well, if there's anything we've learned in the last couple of years, it's that we probably shouldn't trust the science. You might be looking a little squinty-eyed uh, at people when they come to you in white coats giving you uh, orders from on high. Today, we're going to jump in. We've got uh, a guy who's really looked into this stuff in the field of global warming. And then in our overtime segment, we're going to do the same thing with COVID. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this year podcast, where we are in pursuit of a free and flourishing Alabama every single week. We've got a great episode for you this week. We have Dr. Krishnan Chatur, the chief technology officer at Gene Capture. He has a background in chemical engineering in uh, Andrea Tice uh, of 1819 Radio News uh, had interviewed him um, really with some of his opinions on uh, how pre-approved narratives corrupt science, specifically in the climate change world. Uh, but he has an interesting background growing up in India, um, and we're going to hear his personal story. Then we're going to dive into those how uh, how pre-approved narratives corrupt science. Uh, and for our overtime listeners, those of you who support us financially, uh, we will do a segment on those pre-approved narratives as it, as it applies to COVID based on his opinions. Um, so I think all of this is going to be really good. And before we jump in, I want to remind you guys, uh, no matter what podcasting platform you're receiving this on, um, subscribe, follow, like, whatever that option is so that you're getting notifications. Uh, and you can click a bell on a lot of them to make sure you're getting notifications whenever we publish content so that you're getting notified uh, of these. Maybe you're getting them in an email or however you're getting it. But if you go... Uh, subscribe. That actually helps us leave a five-star review. Uh, tell everyone how much you love the podcast because we know you do. Uh, that helps us get our message out to as many people as possible. So please do that. Uh, and if you haven't already signed up to become a member, uh, please do that today on the website, 1819news.com. Click become a member. Membership start as little as $5 a month. Uh, that support goes to helping us uh, do what we do, which is uh, shining a light and telling the truth uh, come what may. So uh, without Going into any more of that, we'll welcome in uh, our distinguished guest, Dr. Krishnan Chatur. Doctor, how are you? Good. Yeah, Thank I'm you. Glad, glad to have you. Um, so we love to um, go into story at 1819 News. I like to hear right. people's stories usually have to do with who they are and what they do. Sure. It, it always ties in together, it seems. And so you obviously have a background in chemical engineering. You're a chief technology officer at Gene Capture, which is medical diagnostics. Yeah. Um, and so that's all really interesting. And then you've got some really interesting opinions as it comes to global warming and things like that, that we'll get into. But, um, I want to hear your story, uh, where you were born. Tell me about your parents. Uh, it just sounds really interesting from what I've talked to you about. Yeah. Um, I was born in a small village in the Southern part of India. Uh, and then, um, almost immediately my, um, uh, mom and dad moved to Bombay, which is called Mumbai now. Yeah. And that's where I grew up. Pretty yeah. much, uh, and then I went to school in in, in Bombay, and uh, college uh, towards an engineering degree at IIT Bombay, and then I applied and I wa always wanted to teach, so I wanted to get a graduate degree, and I landed up coming to Rice University in Houston, Texas, and then got my degree there, and then landed up working at Columbus, Ohio, Battelle for about six years. Spent about a year at uh, Case Western Reserve University, 
and then uh, was fortunate to be hired at the UAH in chemical engineering, yeah. uh, which I was there for about 27 years almost, um, during which time I start, helped start a gene capture and, you know, lots of things that I'm happy to share with you. Okay. Stuff, yeah. But um, tell me, what was it like growing up in India? I mean, I think, you know, a lot of times we who've lived in even maybe not the richest state like in Alabama or, you know, wherever anyone grew up that, that, that may be listening here, it was in America. Uh, there's probably um, just the incredible wealth that we bathe in that we don't even realize, right? We're swimming in this sea of prosperity and we don't even know it. What was it like uh, growing up in India? Talk a little bit about just, you know, not having running. I mean, everything you and I kind of discussed. You know, that's interesting. Um, you're right in the sense that I see so many people around me really not appreciating what we have. I mean, you can go to the poorest county in the poorest state in the United States and find things that are just astonishing in terms of what people are able to afford and how they live and so forth. So to me, it's surprising why they don't, why they take it for granted what we have. But I mean, to, to turn back the clock a little bit, I, as I said, we grew up in the southern part of India. And I, of course, my dad had to work in Bombay, so they moved there. But we used to visit family back in uh, Kerala, southern part of India, every year and for different family functions or whatever. And I, my, I know the home my mom and dad grew up in. No running water, no you know electricity, um, and outhouses and stuff like that. And they used to use either wood or cow dung or something for fuel. And um, the water was from a village. Uh, I used to actually draw the water. I remember yeah. growing up. So, so and so so we can ask why. And the reason was because energy was expensive. Yeah. If they simply did not have access to it, or if they did have access to it, it was expensive. So a few people in the village maybe had electricity and things, but most people didn't. So I watched that. So uh, over time, you know, uh, I mean, there was no uh, electricity, all that stuff. And then over time, I remember as more, there was more access to fossil fuel-based energy and fossil fuels itself, life improved. So to give one example, the fertilizers that come from natural gas from nitrogen fixation allowed a higher yield in plant, you know, f fruits and vegetables and so forth. And so I noticed, for example, that the vegetables and other things became plentiful and less expensive. Um, I noticed that um, electricity started becoming available. Um, and at one time, uh, natural gas, liquefied natural gas became available in cylinders, as it were. Uh, yeah. uh, people may here may not even know that, but in cylinders. And so anyways, so to, to, to move to Bombay, that was also in Bombay, where we had to get... So so the, the home that I grew up in Bombay, we did not... We had electricity first, but we did not have natural gas piped in. We had just to get the yeah. cylinder. Um, and But for many, many years, we did not have a refrigerator at home. One, because uh, even refrigerators were expensive then, yeah. okay, relatively speaking. That is compared to, it, the, I, I'm talking about in terms of the purchasing power, what my mom and dad had, uh, uh, refrigerator was expensive. But again, over time, that became less expensive. So then we got a refrigerator. And then of course, then my mom and dad later got TV and so forth. But 
If I were to go back and look at the common factor, the factor is um, less expensive energy in all different forms, electricity, gas for cooking or cooling and, you know, all that stuff in there. Uh, and so I really appreciated how the, so, so again, going back to the natural gas, several years after the cylinder, uh, we got natural gas piped into the house in Bombay. So my, we didn't have to lug the cylinder yeah. <laughs> to places. So that is amazing. So I guess my point is that I've seen an amazing improvement in how we lived from, you know, the village in Kerala and even in Bombay um, and what we had and what we then, what we had, what we did not have and what we had later and how our lives improved. Yeah. And I trace it all back based on my own education, my own teaching and things like that to energy. It's really the energy poverty that is the big problem. And certainly in India where I grew up, it's much better now, but also in really many, many parts of the world. So, oh, one thing I do want to mention is that I, I don't want to make it look like we were d really destitute or anything. We were materially poor, but resource rich otherwise, because yeah. my, my mom and dad were very resourceful, that we never felt a lack of things we needed. Though it's, it's amazing how they managed it, frankly. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. They, they managed it. So we never felt a lack of something, even though I knew we did not have many of the things my, a lot of my richer friends had. Yeah. So again, so, so bottom line is that I saw the change in living and living standards because of the access to electricity, you know, natural gas, fuel in, in different forms and so forth, and fossil fuels. So, what, so yeah. what, what do you say, so what is the lesson, would you say, for the, our listeners, uh, folks are, are tuning in, as someone who moved here from what was a third world country, being what you did, now having lived in America yeah. for as long as you have, what is the, what, do you, what would you say is the lesson? The lesson is that um, access to energy is maybe the most important thing we can make sure. That is, we want to make sure energy is plentiful, that it is not uh, made expensive because of regulations, because the state can make it enormously expensive. Yeah. And so it, it's nothing to do with supply and demand or core economic principles. So if I have to say one thing is that don't mess with the market. Yeah. If the market is willing to sell whatever it is, gasoline, diesel, natural gas, whatever, at a price and people can afford it, you know, let the market work. So that's my biggest lesson. Don't mess with the market. And, you know, people's lives would improve. Yeah. However they decide to use the resources. It's not yeah. for me and you to tell them. Yeah. So one thing, energy, access to energy. Now, that also translates to access to running water, to pure water, I mean, the whole shebang, pure air, all that stuff. Yeah. So I'd say energy access yeah. is absolutely critical. Well, it's really interesting because I think we, at a, at, a, at a core level, at a base level, we as humans understand that to some degree, that that access to that energy. Now, it's been so prevalent in our lives that, w that we don't necessarily know what it looks like if we don't have it. But I think we all know, okay, you have to have food, water, shelter to survive, clean air, clean water, oh, clean oh, environment. Man. But then the, the environmentalist people have come in and then kind of taken over this, we're going to get clean water, we're going to regulate your energy, we're going to regulate your air, we're going to regulate your this, we're going to regulate you there, that. And, you know, Reagan's favorite saying is, you know, the eight scariest words ever is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> I don't know. Right? And so 
these are the people that are now regulating our water, our air, and, and all these other things. And specifically, the, the electric car situation right now that they're trying to force upon us is absolutely absurd. I agree with you. Um, so it's it's just, it's very interesting. And, 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 you know, me and my tinfoil hat and conspiracy theory thinking sometimes is they want to, they know that these resources are what people need. And so that's why they want to control them, centralize them. Um, and then they control everything. But I, I think I agree with your conclusion. The question yeah. is why? And, yeah. and, you know, it's hard to figure out what's in people's minds, I guess. But to go back to the issue of um, energy and things like that, um, I think, you know, we take it for granted what we have, certainly in the U.S. And I think we tend to therefore forget. And one consequence of how when societies become wealthier, yeah. they start looking at, other things around them. So this environmentalism thing started because people became wealthier. And so there's nothing wrong in wanting to better environment in yeah. water. Hey, listen, I'm all for it. But my complaint about that, my, not complaint, but absolutely you need better water, better all that stuff in there. My complaint about this stuff is some of the campaigns the net effect of what they do is to strangle the the opportunities for poorer people elsewhere. Yeah. So, um, so one of my favorite authors is Bjorn Lomberg, who's in Denmark, and he says, you know, let's say about eight billion people in the in the world. About a billion people have yeah, access to most things that we can imagine, and almost six to seven billion people do not have enough energy that we, we use in the U.S. to run a refrigerator. They just don't. Yeah. And so by going gung-ho about some of the things in the U.S., maybe even with good intentions, we are strangling the opportunities for the poor people to get what we have taken for granted. Yeah. And that's my complaint. Uh, listen, I now that I'm here, it's like I want better. I want you know all that, which is true. But I don't forget that there are still 7 billion people out there who are still struggling. And so that's my question, yeah. point about the access and energy so let's not make yeah. it more difficult yeah no i agree yeah yeah so when you spoke with andrea tice uh who's yeah. our radio news correspondent she also does a podcast called the daily detail yeah. um she really jumped into uh climate change the the big narrative that's yeah. pushed from obviously one side of the aisle though it kind of gets into both um and, it, and to me it's just this giant lie that's been foisted upon us and we've all just gobble it up and so why don't you Give us your opinion yeah. um, on, you know, as someone who has the background that you do, the experience that you have, uh, your opinion on global warming. Yeah. Well, let me back up a little bit by saying I'm not, an, as I told you, I'm not an expert in the yeah. area, but I have read enough. I'm an engineer. I write models. I develop models. So I sort of understand that. And there are a few people that I trust who I read on a regular yeah. basis. And I've talked to them and tried to understand what the issues are and, uh, you know, the climate, things like that. So there are a few key factors involved in it. Yeah. So the one factor people talk about is the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And it is increasing. It has been going up for many, many years. There is no doubt. I mean, th that's not questionable. Yeah. It's somewhere in the region of 400, 410 parts per million, as it is called. So 0.04% of the atmosphere and then growing is carbon dioxide. Now, carbon dioxide is what's called a global, uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a gas that is necessary to trap the heat. And so if there is way too much carbon dioxide, it could trap more heat. And so in principle, you could have issues with temperature balances and so forth. Yeah. 
So, um, and so that I mean, it, it is a global warming gas, as it were. Yeah. But carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide is primarily created because of human activity. Yeah. No doubt about that too. I don't have a question about it. Where my concerns are is the um, alarmism that is coming, and people are taking this limited amount of data, trying to develop models, and then making the models, you know, make predictions 50, 100 years, indicating it's going to be, you know, Earth is ending in five years or 10 years and things like that, which is wrong, actually. I mean, p- people have uh, taken apart those models and uh, concluded that it's alarmism. It's not real. Yeah. They're making things up. So some of the more sensible scientists I've read essentially say, yes, the Earth is warming, um, but there is no question for alarm. One, because humans have always adapted. So let's assume everything's the we are told about the uh, climate stuff is true. CO2 is increasing because you're using fossil fuels, all that stuff, whatever. But even with the increase in the stuff, what these scientists are saying is there is no cause for alarm. We have plenty of time to do adjustments and you know, how we live and you know all that stuff is true. What really irks me is that people have used some of the data to draw conclusions that are either flat out wrong or fraudulent. And so they tend to confuse the public about what may be going on. I'll give you one example of um, uh, why we shouldn't worry about, quote-unquote, global warming. Let's assume that it, it happens, that the temperature is going up and so forth. So I, Bjorn Lomberg was the one that mentioned this a long time ago. And he said that if you take a look at the number of people who die every year of either extreme heat or extreme cold, more people die of cold than of heat. I mean, it's just a fact. Yeah. Now, people might argue and yell and scream about it, but that's just a fact. And so, if there is global warming, the stuff in there, you might see a few more people die in the summer and the heat stuff in there, but far more people will live in the cold. <clears throat> that doesn't mean it's good to have anybody die, by the way. That's not what he's saying. Yeah. So, cold kills more than heat. So, it's like, so he says, you know, what are you guys so upset about, in one sense? And <clears throat> related to that, I remember there was a journal named Lancet, and they published a paper or a figure in which they were using, they were showing that data on this graph to show how many people die of heat, how many people die of cold. And what is appalling about that figure, this is Lancet, a British medical journal, and what they did was to change the axis on the cold to make it look as if the number of people dying in heat were about the same or bigger than the people who were dying in the cold. And you had to look very carefully at the what's called x-axis. So this is what I'm talking about. You know, nobody will argue with data. Things are happening Things will change. You need to adapt. But they are making things up. They're confusing the people. And therefore, the object, the final result is to strangle the availability and the price of fossil fuels energy. Yeah. And that's what gets to me. Yeah. Not, you know, you know, humans always adapted. So I'm never worried about some of the changes people are talking about. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah. And, and there's so much. And so yeah. that's an interesting thing. I never thought about that whole idea yeah. that more people actually die from the cold yep. than they do the heat. 
you uh, need look him up don't yeah. trust me don't trust me on anything i say today okay go look him up and i, I mean I, in a different what, what is his name again uh, his name is bjorn lomborg he's okay. part of what's called a copenhagen consensus okay and the journal i cited is called lancet l a n c e t i don't remember the uh, issue yeah. uh, and they were called out and then they had to fix it but it is like a blatant attempt at trying to uh, you know confuse the public about what is going on but anyway but so in all your studies yeah. with your background and the work that you do and obviously some of your hobbies are looking into this kind of stuff <laughs> how much of this do you see where science is being driven by narratives rather than by data that's in in, in certainly in climate science climate call it climate change and global warming whatever a lot of it seems to be and again this is also based on um and i uh there was recently a paper um where the author submitted something to a journal and then he wrote about you know he said uh, he wrote something he wrote it in a way to make it quote unquote acceptable to the to, to the journal for publication and then later wrote about the his experience yeah and he said you know this is what has happened climate science you're not allowed to diverge away from what is considered to be quote unquote the truth yeah which is the most bizarre thing i've ever heard in my life yeah because in science one person can stand against the entire world yeah that's the way science is so for somebody to say you know 97% of scientists or something can have a consensus it's excuse the expression it's nonsense yeah. complete nonsense yeah. you don't ever say that you're destroying science by that yeah. so what i'm saying is that um the um the, the the way some of the journals publish or force people to write things it has become highly political uh in the in, in the climate quote unquote climate uh science climate uh change whatever you want to call it and so uh there are certain areas like that where people do not accept papers if you go against some conclusions for example or say something and somebody's going to say no you know you can't say that uh if in fact there was a youtube recently banned a video in 2023 of somebody talking about some results that happened like a few months ago because they've decided that there are something they just want um you know published yeah and so so to me it's always uh science is where science is messy the process is messy yeah people publish sometimes they make mistakes sometimes they commit fraud maybe you know not as often thank goodness but you cannot force consensus it's not like there is one sage sitting on top telling you what you should think or not think yeah but um, there is now well in certain there fields shouldn't be, there, sh- there, there should never be yeah but right now i feel like never there be. is uh, but even then we are finding people are finding ways to break out yeah so um uh Twitter has been one place where you can say decentralized media has been huge right and it has been place where um and, and there are some people i follow on twitter you know in in this area where they've been able to publish their stuff not everything they publish is right by the way i, I can't agree with them yeah but they're allowed to say it and then if they say something kooky you know they're going to say hey, he's a nut but let's do that yeah i mean i i, I remember um um i mean there are many many examples in science where if people uh when people when people do not allow something to be done 
but the person was strong enough to say i'm going to do it anyway because i believe in it changes amazing amazing things happen changes the world yeah um so so one example of that is you may you may know this already about a guy in australia i think um he he, <laughs> he said something like i know bacteria causes ulcers and people said what are you nuts people thought he was insane so and he tried to get some funding and donation and not, nothing happened so what he did was he he took some bacteria he swallowed his bacteria he got the ulcers and he used some antibiotic and he couldn't got prove that this ulcers because of the bacteria to make a long story short the guy got a nobel prize in medicine <laughs> years ago and, and so but there are examples where the um um uh, people not being allowed to say something or do something um is uh if the person is strong enough yeah he's going to say the hell with you guys i'm just going to do it anyway yeah. and, and prove to you something but i'm more worried about the hundreds of other people who get discouraged yeah you know not all of us have the strength of uh, the people who can stand up to the mob and so i think we need to really really look at science a scientific process allow <clears throat> debates allow discussions you know open up the stuff you know one person doesn't know doesn't have the whole truth nothing but the truth they just don't and the saying that's been real big whether it's climate whether it's covid and in our overtime we'll talk about covid and how that applies because it's a one to one yeah um is trust the science and it's like well no that's not how science no, works the it whole idea is to test the science not trust the science in fact if anything i'm going to say distrust the scientist yeah. at all times yeah it's the reverse of what he just said is yeah. no a scientist is not to be trusted and yeah. so no something went off the rails yeah. you know i i wish any word was oh why yeah yeah <laughs> yeah what versus yeah. why yeah. no and i mean i have theories i think that there's a you know uh, i do think there's a, a globalist you know coup as it were that's trying to centralize government you know new world order whatever you want to call it um that are trying to make inroads in every industry at the very tops so and then they're working together and in order to do the things they need to do they need to develop consensus around things and force people to fall into that consensus uh and then when you have the the nerve to stand up and say the emperor has no clothes on they try and destroy you but you know there are strong ones that stand there watching elon right now which yep. is this is it's 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 the same vein but it's different it's not necessarily science that we're dealing with the the stand that he's making right now where he is not allowing advertisers to dictate his whether right. he's going to censor or not on twitter right that is so big we yeah, we owe that man so much yep um what he did by buying twitter then doing twitter files yep and then now making the stand where he's you know telling advertisers to go f themselves i mean it's <laughs> it's unbelievable it is. uh the courage that he has and the and the losses he's willing to take so that we have a public square so that conversations can be had correct because it's the only time that we actually break out of this fake consensus into actually then why does anyone you know there's got to be a weird motive that would make anyone want to come to a conclusion that isn't real why would anyone ever like i always want to be operating from from truth not my yeah it's you know that puzzles me to be honest with you and yeah. the most simplistic explanation is it's one in which people have a need to make sure that they can control what other people do and when they don't they say wait a minute I'm not telling you what you should say and you're saying something different and it bothers them but science has never been about that yeah. I mean 
at least the united states has never been about that we've never been a country and i'm speaking now as an american now by the yeah. way I, I, i take this country you don't tell americans and stuff what he should think or do and believe in right or wrong I and mean, there are yeah. some total idiots in the us certainly get in the around the world but we allow the possibility of people being wrong and you know all that so yeah i mean it's distressing you don't want to have conformity yeah. you just don't yeah well <laughs> there's a lot i want to go into that's yeah. going to revolve around covid but i want to yeah. save that for the overtime um as far as it pertains to global warming um i think the the phrase that i used was pre-approved narratives corrupt science. Um yeah. I had read something I think that you were featured in there's something on Wall Street Journal. I don't know exactly I, where I saw that. But the the article was titled How Pre-Approved Narratives Corrupt Science. Yep. And so I mean any last words with with uh, climate change, global warming, whatever you want to call it and and how pre-approved narratives are corrupting that. Well, essentially, you know, uh, the, the 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 more core issue really is science and scientific debate whether it is global warming or biology or anything like that that's a key yeah. so um if in fact the uh, the change in climate is going to destroy the earth in 5 years i want to know yeah i mean you know i want to get ready uh, if that's not the case i also want to know yeah and so i want the truth about it and make my own decision and by the way scientists have been wrong and that's what really bothers me at least in the climate change stuff there is a lack of humility about what the knowledge is about making predictions 50 100 years from now even when they have been proven to be wrong that's what gets to me it's like wait a minute you know 30 40 years ago you said there was going to be global cooling and time magazine had a you know big front page cover years ago and there were stories about how by 1970 or 80 there's going to be no more snow on the ground i mean you yeah. you can go back in history but none of that seems to matter to people yeah and i'm thinking how could you not have any shame in at least acknowledging that your predictions are wrong yeah. so today you could be wrong i'm not saying i know you're wrong but you could be wrong why yeah. don't you accept the fact that you could be wrong yeah. so this it's science it, yeah. you know, let have humility um you know epistemic humility as it's called and let people talk and that's how science progresses yep Yeah no we're supposed to be covered in water right now in Alabama. <laughs> well it, yeah I mean there's just so many stories like that about people um not really recognizing it. In fact one of the um if you have time I'll mention one of the sure. story um you may have heard about you know Paul Ehrlich is it's my favorite story. Yeah no I I know that I can't place him but I I know I've heard the name and I've read some So some. so a favorite story that I used to tell my students about it too it's like um Paul Ehrlich and there is a economist at the University of Maryland called Julian Simon. And so um so uh, I forgot the why it you know what happened and then so Paul Ehrlich is what's called um he's been talking about the earth not having enough food and people in India starving and stuff for his entire life. Yeah. And and the fact that he's been wrong makes absolutely no difference to him. He just keeps saying the same old people keep believing SOS whatever yeah. it's right. So many many years ago he um made a prediction or he was talking about something and he said we got run out of copper polar lexan and um us or maybe a few other minerals so julian simon who was an economist and he's one of my favorite economists and he said okay paul let's make a bet so let's take a basket of 10 um 
commodities slash metals, I forget what it were, basket of 10 things. Let's calculate the price of that today. And I will make the bet that 10 years from now, the price of those things will be less than what it is today. And Paul Ehrlich said, no, it'll be much higher because we're gonna run out of copper, we're gonna run out of zinc, we're gonna whatever. Anyway, they made the bet. Paul Ehrlich lost and Julian Simon won. And Julian Simon did not know enough about what the future is gonna be. But what he knew was that he said, there is only one unlimited resource in the, in the entire universe. It's the human mind, ingenuity. Yeah. What he said was, I don't know what's gonna happen to copper. I'm, I'm making this up now, I yeah. don't quite know. I don't know what's gonna happen to cap copper or whatever. So, so one thing that happened is that when copper became scarce, people discovered other materials to use, yep. fiber and stuff. Or they discovered more copper. Yeah. So Julian Simon's point was never, ever bet against human ingenuity. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he lost, but he's still out there claiming, I think he's out there, he'll do the yeah. same thing. Um, and one of the related stuff is, I have a book published in 1950 or something, I forget what it was. In that, there is a figure in there saying that 1970 or so, the earth is going to run out of oil, 1970. So they made a prediction 20 years into the future or 30 years into the future. This is 60 years ago, they said we're going to run on oil. Now we have more oil than what they said we were going to have. Yeah. So you don't bet against human innovation. You never do. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the future is going to be, but I know it's going to be better. Yeah. I don't even know how it's going to be better. It's going to be better. So yeah. anyway, so that's the thing. So don't bet against human beings. Anyway, huh. that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah, but I agree. You know, yeah. with these guys, the the false prophets that never, you know, know, never get called on their stuff or are never willing to say, yeah, I know I got the last seventy six things wrong, but the seventy seventh, I mean, is in, it. India is exporting food now. I mean, they stopped recently because of COVID stuff. Yeah. But uh, I grew up at a time when we had ration cards for wheat, for rice, for milk. I mean, basic stuff. Yeah. I remember standing in line for food. And of course, now, years ago, when I used to go back, it's like, you can buy it at every corner. Pretty yeah. much. And Paul Ehrlich said, people are going to die and they're going to, you know, all that, whatever. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, they still do not seem to learn. They're still making the same thing today. Yeah. It's like, oh, come on, give me a break. That's crazy. Anyway, yeah. Well, no, well, that's good. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. that'll wrap it up yeah. for us here. Um, Dr. Krishnan. Chatur. You got it. Thank you. You're welcome. Nice to be here. All right, guys, that wraps it up. Um, Until next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry.